The Recipes for Life podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being, as well as expanded consciousness. If you would like to become a qualified health coach, then the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, or IIN for short, can help you achieve your goals. I completed their health coaching course many years ago, which has been one of the catalysts for my own journey into what I now love to do, which is to help people achieve greater health through the sharing of information through my books, seminars, podcasts, TV shows and films. I recommend IIN for anyone wishing to pursue a career in the health coaching and wellness space. IIN is a one-year course, so that if you're a full-time worker, busy parent, or wherever you are in your life, it is flexible enough so you'll be able to complete all the required curriculum. Please see the link included in the podcast show notes or my website to access the free sample class and first module of their program. This will give you a great taste of the format as well as the structure, and you can also utilize my special discount that I can offer you if you decide to sign up. Make sure you tell the admissions team that you're part of the Pete Evans Tuition Savings to claim your very substantial discount. Please visit integrativenutrition.com or email admissions at integrativenutrition.com. Christine Hassler is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, master coach, podcast and TV host who is committed to guiding people and organizations into their highest potential. She left her successful job as a Hollywood agent at 25 to pursue a life she could be passionate about, but it didn't come easy. After being inspired by her own unexpected challenges and experiences, she realized her journey was indeed her destination. Steph Sifandos is a relational alchemist, community builder, and changemaker who facilitates transformational growth through neural empowerment practices, mindfulness, and integration of Eastern wisdom, diverse spiritual practices, and Western psychology to improve, evolve, and enhance the quality of your relationships. To find out more about Christine, visit her website, christinehassler.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-H-A-S-S-L-E-R.com. And to learn more about Steph, visit his website at stephsifandos.com. That's S-T-E-F-S-I-F-A-N-D-O-S.com. Christine and Steph, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. How are you both? We're, we're great. <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be quite exciting for me and uh, a lot of fun, I think, for the listeners as well, because what I want to explore with you today, uh, the both of you, is, is talking about relationships and what that means and how to cultivate uh, exceptional relationships, because both of you are in a relationship together, if, if I'm not <laughs> mistaken. You know, you're absolutely correct about that. And you both work in the field of human potential and, mm -hmm. I guess, evolution of consciousness and spirituality mm -hmm. and for people to grow and understand how to create the life that they've always dreamed of. Now, what I find really fascinating is that for that to happen, generally relationships are the best opportunity for us to grow because they offer us a, a very true mirror for where we are at <laughs> at a particular point in our life. So 
Now, mm-hmm. well, I'd, I'd love for both of you to define what a relationship means to you, whether it's business, romantic, personal to self, and then we can build on that if that's okay. You want to start? You can go first. Oh, he's going to let me go first. Okay. Um, so I, I, think I, I love a, a that, relation- by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I'm just being a gentleman. So I'm bringing yeah. chivalry back no, to he, 2018. He's like, I want to think about my answer, so you go first. <laughs> um, well, I think a relationship it means different things when we're at different points in our life. You know, in different relationships serves different functions. I think any relationship is a vehicle for growth, as you were saying. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Any relationship is an opportunity for two people to come together and not only learn from each other and trigger each other, but also heal old wounds together mm-hmm. and create greater connection and to experience love. And I think that's one thing that the self-love movement has kind of taken away from relationships. And we've talked about this, mm-hmm. Steph and I've talked about this a lot, is that, you know, you're supposed to get all your needs met, you know, on your own. And if you don't, then you're failing at personal growth. And that's not necessarily true. Relationship gives us a tremendous opportunity to experience love and connection and vulnerability with another person. And that's a beautiful thing. So to me, a relationship is everything. You know, there's, there's nothing that a relationship isn't. Mm, Beautiful. Steph. Yeah. So, so for me, I I completely resonate with everything that Christine has just, has just mentioned. And for me, relationship is an opportunity to know ourselves relationship is an opportunity to know ourselves through being with others and in that process and sometimes it can be turbulent sometimes it's joyful and we experience the entire spectrum of emotions and we really we we do that we have that in relationship because when we value a relationship whether it be a business relationship a platonic relationship a a romantic or intimate relationship we invest our energy our resources our attention our time and it's it's almost impossible not to grow, especially if we set an intention to to be open to what that dynamic uh, allows us to experience. So for me personally, and I will I will speak personally here, it's really an opportunity to get to know the parts of myself that I can't possibly see and mm-hmm. feel on my own. I need that mirroring. I, I require that reflection. I choose. It's not even a need or a, a I requirement. Think it is. And how did humans grow without the mirror? Actually, that's true. So, so from a, yes, so from a, from a perspective of growth, it's a need. When we come from a place of choosing, like really consciously, openly, transparently with ourselves, choosing to be in a relationship and to, so some of the biggest teachings and growth spurts that I've learned, especially in the last few weeks is, (laughs) is, have have you been having one of those couple of weeks like I have as well? Oh, yes. We have. Whoa. I want want to delve into that a little bit deeper, but continue, please, Yeah, definitely. Is is reaching a point of choosing to be here, is choosing to be here irrespective of what the situation is that is arising, whether Mm. it's deeply painful or fear that is arising or that's coming to the surface, whether it's tremendous pain bodies that we are experiencing, is to really be committed to the relationship and to the reasons of the relationship, the why behind the relationship, and be committed to the knowing and the feeling and the discovery of self and the other person as well. And everything that's required in, in order to really be that person, you know, the the patience, the the choices that are made, the the willingness full stop and the willingness to see beyond our own pain and mm-hmm. and what is the other person experiencing and the gratitude and a myriad of other 
what I call posturings to gain and to really grow in that, in that space. So for me, relationships, like Christine says, are everything. Yeah. Mm. And I think it's important to know too, when I think some relationships, be it friendships or romantic or whatever, um, have expiration dates, you know, not all mm. relationships are supposed to last forever or really can, especially if not both, you need two people committed to growth and committed to the relationship to make it work. And I see, we see a lot of people fight for relationships that, um, quite frankly, aren't worth the fight because you don't have two people that are willing to commit to it. Um, so I do think that's important part when you're looking at your relationships, are you choosing people? Are you attracting people who are also committed to growth, who are also committed to the relationship, who are also committed to, to do their own work? Because I think we're all very misled when it comes to relationships. We're focused more on what we can get than what we can mm-hmm. give. Mm-hmm. And we have massive expectations of the other person. And one of the things that we talk about a lot, cause we're engaged and we're committed to each other. and we, I know that Steph cannot fulfill every single one of my needs. I mm. need my friends and my tribe. And if I expect him to be everything to me, he's going to constantly fail and, and yeah. vice versa. So it's, it's also like managing our expectations. And I really feel like the, the healthier our relationship is with ourself, the more able we're to see clearly in relationship and show up from more of a place of love than from a place of wounding. But that takes many really hard, <laughs> painful relationships sometimes to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess that's where I wanted to to start with is how do these relationships enter into our lives? I mean, we can all remember the first time that somebody crossed our paths and, and that, oh, I was just so attracted to that person. And then you fall in love or you have that, I'm talking about a romantic connection here, but we have this romantic connection where you've never experienced life like that once you've had that union with somebody. And then when that union breaks, it's life shattering again. And it's how do these attractions manifest for us? How do we attract these people into our lives? Well, I'll start and then you can, Mm. um, it, it all is, so we both come from the perspective that we're on this earth to grow and learn. Mm-hmm. And the thing that our, our soul, our higher self, our unconscious, our heart, whatever you want to call it, is most dedicated to is our own evolution. And to put simply, that means kind of healing our wounding. And so we will attract relationships that best serve our growth, depending upon where we are in our journey. And I think one of the fundamental things that I learn and teach about relationship is that So as kids, when we're born, there's no illusion of separation. We know we're connected to God, universe, divine, whatever you want to call it. And that's an amazing feeling. And then life happens and we start to lose that connection because in our physical world reality, that connection isn't reinforced very much. Mm -hmm. And so we, we begin to project God on mom and dad (laughs) and they becomes our, they become our God and they become the person that defines our self-worth, our self-love, our safety, everything. And no parents are perfect. So we all have our things with our parents. So they end up disappointing us. They may abandon us. They may reject us. They may be critical. They might fight all the time. They may be codependent with us or mesh with us or whatever it may be. And so we stop looking for God in them. And then the next person we start to look for God in is a romantic relationship. Hmm. And that's often why it feels so amazing because there's that attraction 
But what really often is that that super heightened high chemistry attraction is coming from our wounding. It's like on some level, we know we've got to get together with this person to, to learn and to grow and to have all our kind of wounding triggered. <laughs> and we sort of need that attraction to like make us do it. Otherwise, we'd probably run for the hills. And in, in those kind of relationships, it can be really triggering and really, really tumultuous because you're kind of working through so much of your childhood stuff and you're expecting this person to heal your wounds. You know, you're expecting them not to abandon you. You're expecting them to basically be God to you. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, where a lot of people get in so much pain in romantic relationships is because they want the other person to make it better for them when it's, when, when it's just not possible. Um, so I think we attract di different people depending on where we are in sort of our soul curriculum and what we're up to learn. Mm. Yeah, very much share same sentiments. And what we do with those relationships is really dependent and, and who we are in those relationships and how we choose or, or don't choose to grow in those relationships is really dependent on the level of self-awareness that we carry within ourselves and the level of, of self-knowledge and what I call self-gnosis. So this embodied wisdom that we have. And we can really only have that embodied wisdom and carry that, that heightened level of self-awareness when we're attentive to our own faculties, inner and outer world, and we're attentive to our own growth. Christine mentioned earlier that some relationships come into our, into our world for a short period of time and then they exit as well. And, um, many of those relationships, uh, they cause so much pain that we, that we leave. And, and one of the reasons why we leave is because we have this, perception of what can I gain from the relationship? What can I gain? What can I gain? And it's, it's a hyper selfish perspective. And you know? this is indicative of where we are in our own journey of, of growth, our own personal reflective praxis as well. So when we begin to transcend that first stage of intimate relating, because it, it's very, very similar to when we, when we are one, two, three years old, where we're very dependent, four, five years old, very dependent, very, uh, very much stuck in our ego of self-identification with our parents. Mm. And we sort of don't shift from that place or parts of our psyche, the layers of our psyche at least don't shift from that place. So so we're grownups, but our four-year-old <laughs> is picking our partners. Yeah, essentially, <laughs> essentially that's what's happening. Relationship. Yeah. That's <laughs> and, and so when it, gets, when it gets difficult and when it gets challenging, we immediately revert to these maladaptive coping strategies that we've cultivated for ourselves as very young people, as children. And we bring that into the relationship. And of course, we become so disappointed because we have these high expectations. And I'm going to be the first to admit that the, the unconscious parts of me in Christine and I relationship have been projecting on her and wanting her to be something that she possibly cannot fulfill because it's my duty to fulfill that. It's my responsibility as an individual and as a man to really understand myself and know my place in this relationship and understand and feel her place and then work that together collaboratively as a side note. He's the perfect fit for me because part of my childhood wounding is enmeshment and codependence and as taking, mine. And taking other people's stuff on, mm. <laughs> yeah. you know, so when, when he wants me to make him feel better, that's a perfect puzzle piece fit to my, mm. I get my worth and lovability by, you know, making sure he feels good, mm. you know? Mm. So, and, and we both have the awareness about it and it's still, it still comes up. It, it, because the pain can be so horrific, particularly if you've experienced abuse as a young person, whether it be physical, emotional, sexual, and depending on how you've interpreted that abuse, of course, and how, how long we choose to carry that around with us. So part of that transition from moving 
from the first stage of relationship, that hyper-selfish stage of relationship, is having equilibrated or neutralized or understood or connected to or worked through, moved through some of our pain points so that we can move to a more what's known as a collaborative or, or mutual uh, second stage of relationship where it really is far more fair and um, there's equality there, but still not quite equitable or, or still not quite, well, there's equity there, but it's still not, it hasn't transcended the individuals as yet. But some people, and and, and I suppose many, if you, you would like, can get to that second stage, but it really requires an effort in knowing self and a willingness. I know we keep coming back to this willingness mm-hmm. because it's something that I'm, that we are personally experiencing. Like we are both willing and not in an unhealthy, toxic way, of course, we're, we're willing to really look at ourselves and look at the relationship. And we're very clear that we want to be together and that we know with great clarity, I have great certainty that, yeah. that Christine is my person and, and that I'm hers, of course. So knowing that, and, and, and again, when I get in my fear state, let's be very honest here. I, I doubt that I have confusion about that, but I, I can always come back to what do I really know. What does my, my highest version of self really know and really feel? And it's that we are deeply connected and knowing that it provides a sense and security of safety. And, and in that safety, there's a spaciousness that occurs within. And in that spaciousness, we're able to see and perceive the world and our circumstances very differently as opposed to creating stories that the ego loves to loves to create that aren't <laughs> that aren't real and really if you're anything like me can be very devastating to self and and to the relationship and to and to the other <laughs> to as the well other person. i'm like why are you telling yourself this crazy story that's not true stop doing that you know and the the other thing that i think is that we've discussed that's important is that we, you know we we had a quite a story of us coming together and and Mm. We we worked pretty hard and waited a while to finally meet each other. And we also know that if for some reason we were like, whatever, you know, give up or break up, we would just repeat this stuff with somebody else. Yeah. You know, it would just come back around. And so I'm just so grateful that I found someone who's willing to take responsibility for his stuff. Maybe not always right at the beginning, but it's getting so much better at it. And so am I, but eventually we'll get there and who will do his own work and we'll do the work and, and we'll realize, and it's not that we think, oh my God, relationships are so heavy and you have to work on it all the time. Like we're big believers in light and fun and play and great sex and all the, and adventure and all those things. But just like a business takes work, just like health takes work, like a relationship takes intention and it's the most intimate thing that we experience. Especially if we're talking romantic relationships. Mm. I mean, especially if we're speaking to aware relationships or conscious relationships, or relationships that have a heightened sense of awareness. Yeah, and it's not it's not a, a better than or uh, being in a place of entitlement or a, a place of superiority. It's just that when you choose to really be aware of yourself, it, there's not only one way to look at the world, which is generally for most of us from wounding or from past mm-hmm. unconscious trauma or difficulty or pain. And so when you really realize, as as we are realizing and have realized in the past and in various pockets of our lives, that there is there are more than one way to actually look at the world and be in the world. And that's, that's again, a massive teaching for me. I can completely shift my demeanor, the way I look at Christine, the way I feel about her, the way I feel about myself. I mean, I'm just, I'm staring at her now and, and I'm, I'm <laughs> overwhelmed, overwhelmed with love and appreciation and adoration because, you know, she's really held through some very difficult times that I've experienced that have affected her 
because of how she loves me. So, and you know, how she cares for me and that, and being aware of that and having a placing attention to that is so important as a man, particularly because I work a lot, a great deal with men. And you know, we, we, we teach what we need to learn the most. And I'm very grateful. I'm deeply grateful that Christine has so much inner strength and, and intuition to, <laughs> to be really present to, to all of it. And that's, mm. that's my on air appreciation for you, my mm, love. Thank you. <laughs> it's very mutual. <laughs> very mutual. And, and our podcast is finished. Off you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love it. So it's really interesting for me. I'm a, I'm a father. I've got two young daughters that are 12 and 13. And mm. obviously they're about to experience that romantic connection in the, in the next five years or however. Whenever oh, that you matter. hope it's another five years. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the, in, in, the next five, <laughs> in, in the next five years, I would say, you know, I mean, that's what happened with me. I think I was 14 or 15 and started mm. like, whoa, what, what, who are these girls out there? And, <laughs> and on the other end of the spectrum, I've got my mum who's in her late 70s who has gone through a few relationships with my father and, and other men who now lives alone with her cat. And I'm, mm. I'm being a witness to seeing how, what these relationships mean. And I think I spoke to my mum about it yesterday and she's like, I don't know whether I could actually be with another human being in a relationship mm. because there's probably no one out there. This is her words that I could actually live with now because she's lived on her own for the last 10 or so years. It would have to be a pretty remarkable man. And I was like, Hmm. And, and, and a healthy man. I said, well, it's interesting, Mum, because I've I've had this this idea of you walking along the beach because she lives at Bondi Beach. I said mm. I I can't help but think if you walked along the beach of of the every morning or a few few mornings a week in the sunrise, something's going to happen there for you, you know. And and I just yeah. feel like she's going to meet somebody. And yeah. I don't know what that is for me. And I'm in a, a wonderful relationship with my wife now. We've been together for seven years. And, you know, to be completely honest, the last couple of weeks has, has really presented us some, some difficult challenges. And, and I love what you said before, Steph, was that you're willing, the willingness to mm. explore what these pains or these wounds mean to us. And, and we're both on that same page. We're both like, what, what does this mean for us? You know, is it, how can we make this relationship work even though we're going through these tumultuous situations <laughs> when you said that you've had a, a fun couple of weeks too? Yeah. It feels like that. It's like, okay, here's the next chance for growth. Right. I, I know I'm going all over right. the place here from my, from my children to my mum to myself. No, um, no, it's all, it's all tying together. And I guess um, I, I'd like to ask you the question and a purely truthful one. Do you believe that we can be in a relationship with other one other person and, and get that and have that physical, emotional, spiritual growth, and that can happen. And mm -hmm. have you witnessed that in other people, or have they? Hmm. I'll give you a great example. Is a friend of mine when I was going through a breakup many years ago. They said, "Oh, why don't you stay together for the kids?" And because they said, well, that's what our parents did or their parents did. You know, they did, they fell out of love, but they did it for the kids. And, and my response was, I, I don't want my kids to witness a, a relationship where the parents are not in that romantic or loving space because <laughs> that's what they yep. think mm -hmm. is normal. I said, I would rather separate from that situation and hopefully one day 
be able to bring in a relationship where the kids can actually witness uh, what it means for two people to be in love with each other and romantic in that way. So back to my question, you don't think there's a, you said before that there could be a time limit for certain relationships, but do you believe that there's uh, the opportunity for a timeless relationship? Yes. Yes. And I'll I'll share a couple of things. So um, I've been married before. And I truly believe that that marriage had an expiration date. It served its purpose for both of us. It was beautiful in so many ways and it absolutely served its purpose, but it had an expiration date of we went as far as we could could go together. Um, Our values were different. The priorities we placed on growth were different. And quite honestly, like I was still in a time when I was so working through and navigating the relationship with myself. And mm. so, yes, some relationships do have an expiration date, um, but I think that comes down to where we are when we attract them. Um, I talk about relationships and I talk about five different kinds of relationships. I'm working on a book about this, actually. Um, <laughs> and there's some people that I call are like a journey mate. You know, we have a we have a soul contract to take a certain amount of time with them. We learn what we needed to learn and then the contract's complete and it doesn't necessarily have to be messy or tumultuous or anything like that. There, there may not be a huge reason, but it just is complete. Uh, that said, mm-hmm. I also, another type of relationship, and this is the relationship that Steph and I are in is a side-by-side partnership. Two people walking together side-by-side, not looking at each other to fulfill them, but looking in the same direction. So I think that those relationships can be timeless when you're walking towards similar values and you have a similar vision for your life and you take 100% responsibility for your 50% of the relationship and you're constantly committed to growth. Like I know that one of the many reasons that Steph is my person is because of his commitment to growth. He's not the same person he was a month ago. Cause he's been growing mm. and I'm not the same person I was a month ago. And I'm going to be a different person in two years and 20 years. And it's my intention to always be desirable to him because I'm growing and because I'm new. And, and, but I want that for me too. I don't want to get bored with myself. I think why relationships suffer is because people get complacent with their own lives. And then they look to their partner to make their life better. And that person's probably got complacent with their life. So you've got two complacent people that may not like their own lives, that haven't cleaned up their wounding. And of course, the relationship's going to fizzle out. So it, it is that, that commitment to growth, that commitment to evolution, that commitment to healing, and really that commitment to always kind of have that, those childlike qualities of wonder and curiosity and fun and play. Um, and, and I also think that a relationship needs a commitment to like a bigger purpose, you know, like some kind of spiritual component to it whether it be through the service work that you do through any kind of, you know, for different people, it's a religious thing. But like when you realize that the relationship is not just about the two of you, but it's about something bigger, I think that helps with the timelessness that's, aspect. That's the third, that's the third stage of, of relating. And, and that, that curiosity that you speak to, Christine, is, is so beautiful because when we're curious, we're not stagnant and we're not, we're not looking to others to fulfill us. We don't come to relationships with, with rigid expectations. Again, in saying that, it doesn't mean that we may not fall into that place or, or even come from that place occasionally. And that, that ability to consciously communicate is so important. And when we're stuck in that pain and stuck in that fear and Pete, 
you asked that question, what, what I, what I heard you say with, with the question that you asked was, uh, is it, is it possible to have, uh, a, a long-term relationship that's, that's meaningful and sustainable and, and, mm-hmm. and monogamous? If that's is, what you is that what you, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's what you were asking though, correct? Am I correct in assuming and saying that? Yeah. Is it possible to be with somebody and experience both of the people to experience their growth, yeah. uh, to heal those wounds for a long period yeah. of time, uh, or for being timeless and for that co-evolution to keep yeah. manifesting? Or does one person take a different path and, and the other's like, Hey, wait for me or vice versa. Or it's just an interesting topic because I, I had Christopher Ryan oh, on yeah. the podcast who wrote sex at dawn and he throws in the evolutionary part of it. And it's like, well, okay, well maybe, maybe not. There's validity yeah. in what he's saying from an evolutionary perspective in terms of our biology. Mm. We also need to understand that we're very different to who from, from a place of consciousness and yeah. awareness and, and the complexities and the layers of our of our social structures, like we are very culturally, socially, socioeconomically, geopolitically, the way we relate to each other, our relationships, the way we view our our world, ourselves, the world, we are very different to what we were thirty thousand, two hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, two million years ago. Mm. So whilst those those biological impulses still most definitely play a relevant role. The layering and integration of consciousness and, and our ability to contemplate, again, this is an assumption, of course, that we, we couldn't, we didn't have this ability to contemplate high order things and the way we see ourselves yeah, and the connectedness. We were worried about surviving back then. Correct. We yeah, yeah. That was, that was more immediate. And, and we didn't have the language faculties and the cognitive faculties and the evolution of our, of our brain development and so forth. So we're very different to where we are now. So we have more choice now. We have more consciousness or awareness around who we wish to be now. Irrelevant whether you wish to be in a monogamous relationship or uh, a non-monogamous relationship. There's, for me to respond to your question, I, I look at it this way. There's, there's three ways that the human being can evolve. They can evolve the two primary ways. You can evolve on your own and you can evolve in, in intimate partnership. Mm-hmm. And, and, and really the, 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 the most powerful form of, of intimate partnership is that romantic partnership, that romantic, what we call sacred union. Mm. So there's one of the ways, for example, if you were to evolve on your own and to grow, because that's a primary directive of being alive, is to, for example, disappear to the mountains and, and study Eastern mysticism for the rest of your life. Which Steph was seriously considering, yeah. by the way. For, for, I for think I'm years. a much better option. <laughs> You're personally, a far better but... option. <laughs> a, a lot more fun. Far a lot better. More fun, hey? um, and I was considering that from my teens, like when I was 15, 14, 13 even, like, and really up until – most recently, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm 36 now and, and probably up until about 33, 34 years of age, I was really considering that and not being of the world mm. and then developing my own faculties and growth in that way. And that's an example of doing that. And the other example is maybe literally being hit by a bolt of lightning or having some Your a, death experience, yeah, an NDE yeah. or an afflatus or some spiritual revelation and growth just simply then cycles and occurs. But you're in the world, but sort of detached, not really of the world. And then the, mm-hmm. the, the third option is this option of sacred union and, and really growing and being committed to that and being committed to the growth of the relationship or the growth of self through relationship and then the myriad of, of effects that come from that. And I became very clear once I started clearing more clutter within my like emotional clutter and pain and fear and continue to do so 
that that is the that is the impact that I wish to make in the world, and importantly on my own path. And meeting Christine for me, like when I, the more clearer I got in my own life, the clearer it was. So easy when we first began communicating, I instantly knew that there was something deeply special here. And look, I'll stop beating around the bush. Essentially, I I knew that we were going to be together in this in the way that we are now and and in an evolving way which we you know what what else can come from this and commitment for him in the past wasn't like something he wanted (laughs) no not at all and it was something that i feared it was something that i moved away from yet moved towards yet moved away from and it was i was volatile in that because of my upbringing and my choice to not explore certain areas and belief systems of self and, and all of that and until i really began that journey that that's when I was able to drop the fear around commitment and freedom, which is is so many human beings have that, that especially that, men, especially men, that from a cultural perspective, that feeling of being restricted and what does it actually mean to our self expression? But what what I found is is that there's great you know hashtag this free you know freedom through commitment, yeah, you know like there really is the the more we commit, the more freer we are because we can only commit when we have unlike this resolve and this clarity within self. And and when we connect to that clarity consistently, we feel freer. And feeling free is expansive and it's synonymous with love. Like it's synonymous with the highest levels and states that we can experience on this earth. And, you know, another moment of appreciation for my beloved is that I'm, because of who she is and how she shows up and how I then choose to show up, I, I experience that in so many different moments in our relationship that I, I do not doubt that aspect of our relationship in any capacity, in any capacity. Sure, I'm definitely working through and moving through other things, <laughs> as Christine knows, but it's de- it's definitely not that at this point. And so, you know, we help each other grow through also being very consciously communicative yeah. with each other as well. I think, too, we're breaking through a lot. If we're talking, and, and we can only speak to heterosexual relationships because that's all we're experiencing. I mean, we can... Mm-hmm you know, guess about others, but that's not what we're living and experiencing. And we, we teach as best we can from, from we're our, we're our own best clients. Um, one thing that we talk about a lot is just the whole masculine and feminine paradigms that, that, right now. That was, and that was my next question, actually. <laughs> oh, good. That's good. That's, we yeah. have a lot to say on that. <laughs> um, and learn as well. And learn, yeah. And just there's so much, we believe, misleading information and outdating belief systems about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And those kind of gender roles and fears and projections that come up around that, I think are are um, misleading a lot of people and creating a great deal of pain in relationships. So I'll just share personally for me. So as a woman, um, I I grew up in a family where, you know, on both sides, every woman was financially dependent on a man mm-hmm. and she didn't really have kind of her own purpose. She was like raising the kids, very kind of that old version of, you know, the man works, the woman stays at home and raises the kids. And I projected a lot of my sense of safety and security on men. Like there was a part of me as ambitious as I was, that was like kind of waiting for the, the night on the white horse to, to mm-hmm. come in and, and use me. Cause the other thing that women have running in our programming, especially with the proposal and the wedding thing is like, well, we have to be chosen. 
And if we're not chosen, if some man doesn't pick us to be his wife, then we're not worthy in some way. And so for women, we really had to evolve out of one, projecting our security on any external source, particularly a man, and really step into our own power, our own sense of safety and security. But over the years that we've done that, a lot of women, we've gone too far into our masculine, right? We've gone too far into the, I'm just going to do it all on my own and make my money and like, you know, get out, we, we get out of our kind of feminine superpowers. And so I think that one thing as a woman I am learning is my feminine energy is amazing and beautiful. And I love being a woman (laughs) and I love Mm -hmm. having needs. And there are, I will say there are some things I need from Steph. And a lot of people avoid that word. Like you shouldn't need anything from anyone. And Mm -hmm. in relationships, you do need certain things from another person. Like that's part of a relationship. And I can't fulfill all my needs completely on my own. However, I have found my own sense of safety and security inside myself. And so I don't project on him to come like and save me from something, you know, and that's not how I expect him to show up as a man either. Like there aren't rules and conditioning around it. Mm. And so we're kind of breaking a lot of kind of the paradigms in our relationship and redefining like what it means to masculine and feminine versus kind of buying into the unconscious collective out there about what it means. Mm. Mm. And Steph, I was reading something on your Instagram page the other day about the masculine and feminine. And it's, it's interesting because you said something before about being youthful and being playful and my own, Mm. I guess, uh, identity that I've created for myself is that of Peter Pan. (laughs) You know, it's, uh, it's the, the, the boy that's going to live forever. And I guess, uh, looking at the, the strong male figures in my life uh, from a child, it's something that I've sort of pulled back from because very aggressive and didn't seem very loving Mm. and nurturing and warmth. And, and I, I viewed that as, okay, I don't really want to associate myself with that masculine strength, but, I'm happy to be the be the kid that goes surfing forever and have a lot of fun and create and, and live in this world. And, and it's interesting because over the last sort of six months, my masculine, I guess, energy or perception or identity has been playing more and more in in as as a priority for me to be looking at. And and it, that's why I, I yesterday when I contacted you, Christine, I was like, oh, you've just did a post about your partner, which I didn't know about. So I went to your page and I, and I was reading it and the first post I saw was about masculine feminine. So I wanted to invite you, Steph, and, and thank you for being part mm. of this podcast because I think it gives yeah, a great ba- balance today. And I, I want to understand your definition of what it means to be a male or masculine energy and how that balances with the female or feminine energy. And because I, <laughs> how much time I, do you have? Oh, uh, you swear, Pete. Is he allowed to swear? <laughs> you can swear. You can do whatever you like. You express yourself however you like. And, and I guess one thing, is, one thing I've learned about Aussies is you like to swear. <laughs> uh huh. I get told mm. off all the time, but that's okay. Well, it's a great question, Pete. And and to be honest, I, I don't know if there's any definitive, objective, worldly answer to that. And a, a part of being masculine. And being a contemporary male, and let's not mistake the word modern male with contemporary male because modernity has, or the, the modern person or modernism has a, a philosophical connotation attached to it. So we're talking about contemporary male and culture is changing so fast that 
what does that actually mean? And, and part, again, of being male and being definitive or expressing masculine character traits or expressive posturings is, is part of that is defining masculinity, masculinity, sorry, for oneself. So there, there is an mm-hmm. element of subjectivism. Now I can speak to a number of different virtues and characteristics that I feel define masculinity. And one of them is definitely strength. And when I'm speaking to strength, I'm specifically referring to physical strength, but I'm also speaking to emotional, spiritual, relational strength as well. So we look at strength and say, what is strength? What does it actually mean? And this is really rooted in our biology. So this is definitely taking, I'm not a, I'm not an extremist in terms of, Hey, is it, you know, is it, genetics or is it environmental conditioning which one is it? neither and both it's i feel we are influenced deeply by our culture and our external conditioning and we are influenced by our internal world our biology and of course our our internal immaterial paradigms of thought and beliefs and models of reality which again are influenced by our environment so there's this there's this play that's taking place but when I'm speaking to strength specifically as a man and what it means to be a contemporary man, it's actually honoring our ancestors and honoring how we've, what I call, grown up. We've grown up or we've evolved to carry physical prowess. And there's a hormonal concoction that takes place with that. And when we're not adhering to that, because we live in a very sedentary world, we're losing part of what it means to be a man. Now, that has a cascade effect on ourselves, on the way we feel about ourselves, whether we know it or don't, unconsciously and consciously, on our relationships, on what people perceive us to be and would like us to be and, and know us to be, again, from an unconscious place. We, we lose parts of ourselves. So physical strength, just carrying physical aptitude and prowess is very important in terms of what it means to be a man, biologically, hormonally, emotionally. Well, yeah, and I was just thinking when you were saying, because Pete, like what you said about a lot of men in your family were kind of that aggressive. Mm, and I'm not speaking to that. Yeah. No, that's hyper aggressive. Right, because yeah. like what I think, you know, when, when men aren't connected to that, physical strength then just leaks out as Correct. aggression. And, or, and, and it does. And yeah. it becomes it becomes an unhealthy expression. Um, mm. Stop reading my mind. Okay, <laughs> she, no, no, we've been, she, she's got this uncanny ability to say something when I'm actually thinking it in real time or just about to say it. So and that, and that's the thing. So if we don't adhere to this, this characteristic or this virtue of, of strength and this ability to, to move through difficulty and challenge, whether it be physical, whether it be emotional, relational, et cetera, and to do it in a healthy, connected way that for me, I define healthy as, as inclusive. So it's considering of others. I call it this concept selfish selflessness or another term for it is enlightened self-interest. But I take that term selfish selflessness and I evolve it a little bit more. And it's really the next, the next level of, of what it means to be a man, actually, which is instead of being in, in, in a world that is hyper selfish in, in, in a culturally constructed contemporary world that is quite individualistic and selfish by the most part, we're looking at life and saying, how does this benefit me? And simultaneously, how can it benefit those that matter to me and those that I don't even know? And it's a mm. quite an expansive question. So that's another characteristic or a virtue of what I feel it means to be a just a healthy human being, but also a, a man because man is tainted with hyper selfishness. Man is is tainted with sees all. Man is tainted with this perception of well, what he wants, he gets, and he takes at, at any cost. And that is an, an unhealthy posture and not one that is is relevant, I believe, in in today's humanity or or for men in, in terms of allowing us to really evolve so that remaining true to our physical strength is important. And it means having a practice of, of strength, irrespective of what that is. But 
physically cultivating strength in the body. And that does translate into the mind and into the emotional self and into the relational self so that it doesn't leak out unhealthily and so that it doesn't leak out and we don't project and vomit our shit on our partners, which, you know, I'm, or kids or, or, kids or, or yeah, or life or, you know, or, or, or internalize it and drink too much and eat too much. And we, we turn to it. We turn to those addictions as yeah. well, you know, because we, we, we're trying to find reprieve. So, you know, not only, and you know, this Pete better than most, I'm sure not only having a practice of physical strength is, is very mentally and emotionally healthy. It's physiologically healthy for us as well in terms of it carries intrinsic value in terms of what it does to our bodies and in our bodies, but it also carries, there's a, a follow on effect of that as well. So, I mean, there, there are a couple of basics in terms mm. of what does it mean to be a contemporary man. And, and this is a conversation that we could yeah. speak to for years. Well, and I think, years. yeah, years. And I mm. think the big thing for men too is, you know, this is a time of a deeply healing time for the masculine right now. Yeah. It's been the rise of the feminine for a while. And there's just a lot coming up. And I think men are confused about what it means to be a man. Women too, are too really, confused. Yeah, yeah, too confused. Women That's are. That's another issue stepping into our power even more. And, and I, and in that a lot of anger has come up for the masculine and the patriarchy mm. and the systems and everything like that. And so as a woman right now in today's world, I'm committed to creating a safe space for men to be vulnerable mm. and know that that's not weakness and know they're not going to be rejected or left and know that they can that it's okay for a man to be vulnerable and that doesn't make him not strong. And I think that's something as a woman, it's important for me to look at, you know, what I project on the masculine and, and to know that men have feelings and men are hurt we little boys. Too. Yeah. You have a limbic, <laughs> you, you are hurt little boys as well. And, and in order, I think the masculine, because everybody's like, oh, the masculine paradigm has ruled things and men have been in control, but it's been the wounded masculine. It's been the shadow of the masculine. We haven't seen what the healthy masculine collective really looks like. At a collective level. Not are. at a collective level. Mm. So we're starting to kind of bring this feminine up, but I really do think that it's, it's a lot of the feminine energy right now that's going to help heal so much of the wounding that the masculine has been because so much of the aggression and the power and the force and the patriarchy, that's not true masculinity. That's more the wounded side of the masculinity. It's actually a combination of, of unhealthy feminine and masculine projection when, when that takes place. And so I'd like to expand on something, Pete, if I can, yes, please. what Christine's expressed, which is so beautiful. And so there's, there's two, two more components to the contemporary man. And one of them, one of them is responsibility and ownership. And the next is vulnerability and openness You've and expression. You've been so good at both of those lately. <laughs> I just want to acknowledge you for that. <laughs> that smile of yours. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I have been and I've also been quite the terror in other ways, <laughs> in other areas, but, but in terrorizing it. myself and, and, uh, and, and us in, not in a, in a purposeful way, of course, but just, just moving yeah. through stuff. Yeah. You know, we're moving through stuff. We're both moving through internal old stuff that that comes up when you deeply care for someone and that mm. sometimes can arise when you know you've you haven't healed you haven't fully looked at as i haven't fully looked at aspects of myself and i get to do that in this yeah. relationship because you know as christine said is a perfect segue into that she really is present to nurturing and caring and 
and being understanding and and that is and still have my boundaries too. of course of you course, know and yeah. still have my you know otherwise that wouldn't work myself yeah. right because we just slip into like a codependent thing and then i'd end up resenting him down the road yeah and and and, and 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 i would and i would further resent christine for irrational reasons as well irrational meaning that coming purely from fear so this this ownership and responsibility like we you know we speak to patriarchy and we speak to the history of humanity and the world and, and where we've been. And, and again, I don't want to go on a tangent here, but the first step to any form of healing or bringing a, a neutrality or, or co-collaboration in, in society at a collective level or an individual level, it, it's, it's that ownership and responsibility. Okay. Who have we been? What has actually transpired? And has it served us? Does it continue to serve us? Is it really healthy? Is it really helping us evolve as human beings and as a society? And if not, the first step is acknowledgement, is that ownership and responsibility. Stop blaming others. Or yeah, because mm. blaming and shaming and, and, and making ourselves feel guilty and others is just going to perpetuate that cycle of unhealthy posturing and behavior. And when we speak to vulnerability as men, it's not about, again, vomiting to anyone and everyone that will just hear our pain. Why are we being vulnerable? Are we being vulnerable to actually express and heal and gain greater context or we're being vulnerable because we're trying to have attention and we're coming from a victimized perspective. And again, I've been very guilty of that in, in, in when I say guilty, I've been, uh, I've, I've acted in that way in the past. And even in most recent times that, 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 that pain of past arises and I will come from that place and recognizing that taking ownership of that. And then being vulnerable from a place of, okay, I want to heal this. Uh, it's not about fixing because it's not, we're not broken, but I want to heal this, move through this and choose, consciously choose another way. Because if we don't acknowledge and take ownership, how can we actually choose a different way? How can we choose a more empowering way that liberates us and frees us from our own internal bondage? And also the relationship, like it's turbulent when we don't take ownership for our stuff and we continue to blame and shame, you know, like, you know, and I'll share. Okay, and then we, yeah, and then we collect evidence against. Yeah, share, you can share whatever. So I'll just share a personal story with Christine and I, and I've purposely engaged in some healing work, some somatic work, and it's the deepest work that I've ever done with a, with a mm -hmm. beautiful couple here in in San Diego. And this psychosomatic work has really opened me up, and it's really brought up a lot of um, stuff to the surface, old stuff that I thought I had and felt I had dealt with. And I had to an extent, but not at the layers that I'm dealing with it now or moving through it. And my immediate default was to get this pain out of me, not because I'm a stranger to pain, not at all, but because it was so overbearing and I needed a scapegoat. I needed someone else because I just felt so alone and so isolated. And I started vomiting that on Christine in an unhealthy way. Mostly by withdrawing. Mostly by withdrawing, yeah. Mostly by completely withdrawing and going really into my head because I'm I'm very good at I can be very good at that. And it mm. works for me when it's healthy and when it's not, it really Marks it hurts. Yeah, it hurts and it hurts those in my life. Mm. So doing that is not taking was not an instance of me taking responsibility. Therefore, I was unable to shift. The moment I took responsibility and ownership of that, and it took some time. I mean, we're talking, we're talking daisy. We're not talking years, right? So it's, it's relatively comparatively speaking quick, but it was intense though. But until I took responsibility, I was unable to shift that and, and the dynamic that we were experiencing. And instead of blaming, blaming, blaming and passing on the responsibility to someone else, which disempowers, which was disempowering me. And again, intellectually, I knew that, but I was in so much pain, which is 
what the reason why I say this is because this is what men experience so deeply. They experience so much fucking pain that mm. they don't know what to do with it because, again, culturally we haven't been taught how to emotionally regulate. We don't carry emotional fitness and emotional intelligence for the majority part, the greater collective. We're not really taught how to deal with our emotions or bad stuff, or ugly stuff, hard stuff, whatever words you want to put around it, or just difficult conversations to have. So we internalize it. And two things happen. Christine mentioned it earlier. We either turn to addictions and we withdraw and we become a very passive, meek male in the sense of the, word, the modern word, um, de definition of the word meek. Or we become hyper aggressive, controlling, abusive, autocratic, um, subjugating. And, and this is the, this is the, the collective definition that we, we see in the world of today's masculine largely. And so to move through that ownership and responsibility that leads to authentic vulnerability, empowered vulnerability, what I call vertical vulnerability, which is confident vulnerability, allows us to be more empowered men and more connected men. And that's, mm. a, that's a really beautiful place to come from. So I know it's a big question what you ask, what does it mean to be <laughs> man today? And that's, that's in part. <laughs> no, I, I love it. And I want to talk about how you honor each other and what that means, because that was a really powerful thing that I saw on your, on your page, Steph, was talking about that masculine, feminine, and, and what each other and, and I don't want to use the word need, but I'm going to use it here, but needs for us to have that relationship. So what does a man need in a relationship and how can a woman help to honor that and vice versa? Well, I'll, go, I'll go first. I'll let Christine go, go first. Well, he, he says the man first. He, man he, he did say what does a woman need to give a man. Oh. <laughs> but what I, what I will say, Pete, is on, on that, I've got a really interesting post coming up on that honoring as well, by the way. So, uh, <laughs> Ooh, way to throw in the tease. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, I, I think that kind of what, when Steph was talking, one thing that I wanted to share, and this goes into the honoring, um, especially in like a conscious relationship is to be aware of your, what your partner's core wounding is. Mm. Um, you know, to be like, I know, what Steph's core wounding is. I know what his childhood difficulties and traumas and challenging challenges were. And I know as his partner, how I honor that is one, I don't try to fix it for him because then I become an enabler and then I become more like a parent mm. than a partner. And, and two, I, I, I'm gentle when he's in them, right? And I honor mm -hmm. him by allowing him his process and holding a space of, I'm here. I love you. I'm not going anywhere. Do what you need to do. And th this is something you've got to fix. Like, this is your work. Like, I can't fix it for you. So like really honoring his process, um, I think is a huge part of, of how to honor and really honoring his vulnerability, um, when he is that way so that he feels safe and not rejected and not weak in that. And also just really honoring how he's a king to me. You know, I think that we spend way too much time talking about what does not necessarily me and Steph. I'm just talking about collectively. We spend too much time talking about what doesn't work and rather than really validating the behavior that does work, you know, and I'm, I'm on a daily basis thinking about, you know, just how I can make him smile. Like I have a personal commitment to make him laugh at least once a day. 
at least once a day. Mm. And I'm no comedian, <laughs> but like, oh, good, I just did it. Job done. Job done. Yes. But yes. I want to I, I want to talk about that king and queen because that was what uh, really resonated with me. And and you know, my wife has that uh, beautiful queen energy and very feminine energy that uh, that I adore and I honor. And I, I, I absolutely love deeply. So talk to me about the king and queen. Yeah, well, the king and queen to, to, to me, and then I'll hand it over, is it really is about two people, again, side by side. In our in our model of the king and queen, the thrones are the same height, right? The king's isn't higher than the queen. Mm-hmm. And it's really about being empowered in in your in, in the harmony of the masculine and feminine energy like really being in your fullness being in your light being in your highest expression of yourself um and really honoring and serving and having reverence both for yourself and for the other like i'm really good at meeting my own needs i'm really good at honoring myself i'm really good at caring for myself and that's what makes me feel like a queen and I'm very, I'm more self-accepting than I've ever been. So my confidence, because I think confidence is radical self-acceptance. And I love what I do. And I feel expressed in my life. And I feel like I have good friends. And so I feel like a queen. And that naturally brings out the king and Steph. that makes it easier for him to honor me because I'm not coming to him with neediness. I'm coming to him with both reverence mm. for the king in him and reverence for myself. And that just makes the mutual appreciation so much easier. Mm. What would you say? Beautiful. Mm. You know, I'll, I'll speak to it from a, uh, a a conceptual and a practical perspective. You know, the first for me, the first is to to believe and to view Christine as a queen, and then define what it means to be a queen and what type of king do I want to be. And so, bringing this back to self is this mastery of self. Is is if I were to be king of the world or king of a domain, and I am I'm king like, of yeah. our street. <laughs> King of my street. <laughs> well, I used to live on Solomon Street, so I was King of Solomon Street, but not anymore. <laughs> um, but you know, if I was to really be a, a king, and I am in my own domain, how would I want to? What type of king would I want to be? Right. How would I wish to express in the world? How would I wish to feel? And then, how would I wish to make others feel? And how how can I love others? How can I care for others? How can I care for my queen? Not only in the way that. She feels she wants to be treated and, and loved, but also honoring myself and how do I love her in my way and finding that balance. So the honoring comes in, in and this is something that I, I really learned the last few days, being with two of Christine's beautiful friends. Christine was traveling, working, and, and I, um, I, I needed to be there. And, and, and they taught me a great deal, Jan and Monica. They, they, and they're a beautiful couple and just a beautiful example. They, they led by, or they inspired by leading just by being them. Mm-hmm. And, I'm so grateful Christine has people like that in her life. And now I, I have people like that in my life as well, uh, you know, in addition to the amazing people I already have in my life too. And what, what was something that I really learned, am learning, should I say, not learn, am learning, I'm going to be very clear on that, learning, continuous mm-hmm. process, is that, you know, when we when we really honour ourselves and love another person from that place, and that's very powerful and it, it's it's growth promoting and when i allow christine to love me in her way and not how i expect or want or need her to love me and, and need coming from con- con- connotating a place of neediness mm-hmm. that the energy behind it is neediness is desperation which again I've, I've in the past been very guilty of very responsible for that's a very different energy to this is who i am these are my preferences of how to be cared for can you show up 
for me in this way? And what does it mean for you? And, and, and show me, tell me how you want to care for me as well. And then it becomes a dance and it becomes this sacred dance of getting to know each other. And then that, that curiosity is, it just continues to unravel itself. And then it's not only curious, it's fun and it's growth promoting and it's beautiful and it's endearing and it doesn't become stagnant. So this honoring of king and queen is there's deep, deep reverence that takes place. There's certain postures that the, the king, it's wise for a king to uphold when in relationship. And it's certain postures it's wise for a queen to uphold. There are innate givings that, mm -hmm. that when we adhere to them, they really do nurture us and bring out the greatest potential of what it means to be human. Yeah. And we really support each other's vision Ooh. too. Yeah. Like the king and queen archetype, like they're not just about each other. They're up to no. something in the world, right? Yeah, they have a mission. Yeah. Mm. yeah, in yeah, individually and together. It's bigger than it's bigger than mm -hmm. individually and together. It's bigger than themselves. Right. Them coming together. So yeah. for us, our definition of part of the definition of king and queen is that we are coming together because when we come together and as we come together and as we grow together, our impact is profoundly more profound. And more, it's, it's far more massive than if we were to just be individuals. Like I, I felt very recently before I had the conscious awareness or very recently before meeting Christine, thinking to myself, I think I've actually capped myself. Like I need to make a choice now. Do I yeah. remain in this world and, 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 you know, and, and, and find, discover, unravel, be open to a, a, a sacred union or do I actually get the fuck out of here and, 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 go and go to the mountains and disappear. But I was really contemplating that because I, I felt I'd hit a cap in terms of my own growth. Mm. Don't get me wrong. Of course I could keep growing, but not to the level that I wanted to and not to the level I wanted to impact the world as well. Mm. And to help someone else do that too, to really be of service to someone else, to, to, to a queen, to my queen. Mm -hmm. mm, and basically one and one equals three is I guess what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, love isn't like it is in the fairy tales, especially, you know, romantic relationships, you have that initial courtship and beautiful love bubble that you're in. And then the stuff starts to come up and it can be a scary thing because when, you know, as much as we want to be deeply loved, sometimes there's a part of our psyche that doesn't know if we're worthy of it. Mm -hmm. And so, a lot of sabotaging behaviors can come up and I've seen too many relationships, businesses, so many things that were so close to brilliance fail because somebody got scared. Somebody mm. got, you know, their beliefs about, am I worthy? Am I enough? Can I really trust that? Their fears became bigger than the truth. Mm. And when that happens, we end up sabotaging things. So I think it's so, so, so important, whether it's a romantic relationship or a career, or anything that, that anyone is pursuing to really, really, really let go of those limiting beliefs around worthiness and not enoughness, because otherwise that saboteur comes up and starts talking you into all the reasons why you don't deserve it or shouldn't go for it or those kinds of things. And that's where, you know, courage and faith and, and really navigating in our own inner voices um, comes in handy because the closer we get to what we want, sometimes the harder we try to push it away. Mm. Mm. So to wrap up, I'd love to have your advice from both of you for anybody that's in a relationship that's going through a hard time, for anybody that isn't in a relationship and is looking for one or anybody that has decided no more relationships <laughs> ever mm -hmm. again. <laughs> Just some parting words of advice for that 
individual to let them know that they're okay. <laughs> to begin with, you know, know thyself. Right? Really get acquainted with you. you know, whether you're in relationship, not in relationship, mm -hmm. or what, wanting to be in relationship or not wanting to be in relationship, get to know you. So if you're not in relationship and you want to be in one, ask yourself why. Like, why is it important for you to be in relationship? And who do you need to be? Who would you need to be in that relationship to attract a person that would help you grow? What are your reasons for relationship? Really get into that. And if you're not in relationship and uh, uh, have been tainted by relationship and don't want to be in relationship, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just where's the come from? Is You don't want to be in relationship because you're scared or you don't want to be in relationship because you seriously just want to be and sincerely spend time on your own because it's very important that we have alone time. In other words, being out of romantic, intimate relationship too. Get to know ourselves from that perspective. So it could be a, a period in your life where that's really what is happening and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. And so this, for me, what's really prominent at the moment is, is non-judgment and self-responsibility. At the moment for me, an ownership of self, like really taking ownership of who you are and, and not judging yourself so harshly that you project that onto others and you really distance yourself from people, whether you're in relationship or out of relationship. Because what, what I'm learning is that the more I judge myself, the more I think others are judging me, and the more I revert to patterns of behavior that are unhealthy, distancing, isolating, and even oppressive to myself and to others. And the mm. less I judge myself and the nicer I am to myself in terms of my internal voice and being compassionate, the more I feel that from those that I really love. And I'm able to witness that and see that and feel that. And it completely transmutes the way I behave with myself mm -hmm. and with life. So that, that would be, those would be my uh, parting words for, for yeah. now. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that is really important to me in our relationship is that Steph prioritizes himself before me. Um, and that comes back to what you were saying about the selfish selflessness too. Like uh, hit, when he is taking really good care of himself, he shows up better for me. What they mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so first I just want to speak to the people that, um, either are heartbroken or challenged in a relationship or their heart is aching because they want to be in one. I have so been there. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time there and it's, it's very, very painful. And what I want to say to you is that you're on the cusp of a tremendous breakthrough. If you're willing to go into it, if you're willing to go into that pain and feel it and trace it back to the origin of it, because this breakup or heartache, or whatever it was, the feeling of loneliness, the feeling of abandonment, rejection, it isn't the first time you felt that way. Mm -hmm. So really use it and leverage it and, and do some healing because it, your, your, your soul is calling for a breakthrough. It really, really is. And know that the answer isn't in someone else. Again, I think a lot of us look for that person to come along and make it all better. Um, and that person doesn't exist except the person mm -hmm. we're looking at in the mirror. And I've, you know, I've been a coach and spiritual psychologist for well over a decade now. And I will say I have been my own best client. <laughs> you know, I have <laughs> always been committed to my, my own growth and knowing that anything I'm looking for out there, I've got to find in me. And yep. in romantic relationship too, I think it's really important to ask yourself, would you rather be right or would you rather be loving? Mm. And being right in any kind of relationship, but especially a romantic relationship is going to cause a lot of attention. I think it's important to feel like you're understood and communicate and express your needs, 
But the wanting to be right thing and collecting evidence against your partner is just going to lead you down a road that isn't going to be, that's going to be a dead end eventually. So know that your partner, if you're in a romantic relationship, is your best spiritual teacher <laughs> in the mm. moment. Um, know that they are a mirror and a reflection and ask yourself, okay, how do I love myself in this moment? Like what's, what would love do in this moment? Both for me and myself. That's something that we ask ourselves a lot. What would mm. love do and get help, get support. I've never not had a coach since I was 22 years old. I will always have a coach. I have multiple coaches. We have a coach as a couple. Um, I don't know that we always will, but we have tribe. We have people in our life. We don't expect to figure this all out alone. So don't expect to figure it out alone. Get help, get support. Mm, wow. I just have, uh, I, I have loved this conversation. I want to thank both of you for, for your generosity and your time and, and your wise words and, and your love. Uh, I want to tell you that I love you both and, uh, I'm very mm. grateful for this opportunity and, uh, I can't wait to share this with everybody. So thank you. Christine and Steph. Aww. Thank you. Well, thank you so Lovely. much for having us and thank you for creating the space. And mm. we're just, we're just so grateful. Very mm. great. Thanks. <laughs> Can't wait to meet you in the flesh one day. And, uh, yes, the- it will happen. <laughs> Sooner rather than later. And swear as much as you like, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he does. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. The information, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical, or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.